Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. We will be talking with Chris Russell, who is the host of the podcast for the team in Washington that is probably on the brink of a name change. We'll get his opinions on that, and he's deep into everything going on in Washington, so he knows what's happening with that franchise and when that name change might be, what it might be changed to, and what kind of team they will be fielding with their new head coach, Ron Rivera, in Washington. But first, Matt, there is some big news that we've got to talk about here that came down after we recorded our Monday podcast, and that is the massive mega contract that has been signed by uh, right now, the best player in the NFL, who is now the highest paid player in professional sports, Patrick Mahomes, half a billion dollars, Matt, over the course of the next 12 years. Wow, what a contract that uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes were able to pull off. Earth-shattering contract, but not surprising. I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with me that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest asset in the NFL right now. I mean, that if you could have anyone to build your team with, it would be him and then whoever's a distant second. I mean, I've said this many times, too, that maybe Dan Marino, but I can't think of anyone since I've been watching football that has been whose stock is higher at this same age or has taken the league by storm at the quarterback position like Mahomes has, you know, really just entering the league. And he's only getting better. So I think it's a, you know, the money almost doesn't matter. I mean, you knew he wasn't going anywhere. It sets a new bar. It's historic, but that's what this kind this, what that's who this player is though. I'm looking at this contract and I'm thinking actually as big as it is and as awesome as it looks, I think that was part of the appeal to the Patrick Mahomes camp was that, look, let's do this massive, awesome-looking deal so he can, you know, not not that he's this type of guy, but he can walk into the club and go, yeah, half a million dollars. What's your contract look yeah, like, right? Like that, yeah. Hey, Tom Brady, your, your biggest contract was half of this overall. Um, but it's actually, surprisingly, somewhat of a team-friendly deal, the way that I'm looking at this contract and the way it breaks down. And the other thing is, okay, and we've seen this time and time again with contracts that aren't guaranteed, $140 million of this is guaranteed for injury, but after the 2026 season, so his 2027 salary breaks down with a $49 million roster bonus. I mean, how about that entering your bank account, right? Wow. $49 million. But I think that is the out. And I haven't heard if there's an out on, on Mahomes' side, which I would assume would be in the same neighborhood. This deal could be a lot shorter and for a lot less overall money. And it looks like after the 2026 season is a point where either the player or, or most likely the team could get out of this if there's, you know, if something doesn't go right for the first half of this deal. And so that'll be interesting to me over the course of the next decade to see if this actually plays out to the end of his contract. And I just, I just get the feeling it's not going to. And 10 years down the road, this could look like a sweetheart deal, even as big as it is overall for the Kansas City Chiefs with the way the contracts go in the NFL. And you look at some of the top deals that have been signed 10 years ago, it could be actually a really good deal for the Chiefs, which is crazy to say for a contract that is $477 million. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% right. And I, I, as we often see with these franchise quarterbacks and a lot of franchise-type players that aren't leaving anytime soon, there certainly could be restructures down the road. You know, Pat Mahomes restructures in 
2025 again and opens up cap space and gets a check for 50 million. You know I mean? Like uh, it gives right. them, they'll have flexibility. I mean, it doesn't mean he's going to be there for 10 years in this contract. He's going to get every dollar in this contract. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And the, the bonus structure is funny too, with the incentives and uh, it's two and a half million dollars of incentives every year for 10 years from 2022 through 2031. If he hits every incentive, then it does go over half a billion. It goes to the total almost $503 million uh, if he hits every incentive. But if he did that, he would have to go to the Super Bowl every year and win the MVP every year. So that's, that is unlikely as good as Patrick Mahomes is. Yeah. And everybody wins in that case, obviously <laughs> good problem to have. Uh, my last take on it though, is maybe I'm looking too much into it, but this implies to me that owners think that the cap is not going to crash next year or the leagues, the bottoms are fall out of the league. And I immediately think Dallas and Houston with Deshaun and Dak probably are now in a little bit more, you know, ready state to make their extensions. Yeah. Obviously the, the cap has to go back up and, and really be fixed by 2022, which is when this deal really kicks in. And that, that was the end of his old contract after the 2021 season. Um, how will it affect signing players like Chris Jones? That remains to be seen. Uh, there is some cap-friendly parts of this deal early, which is something they needed. Uh, so a little bit backloaded here, which is why it makes me think the team could get out of it later before that $49 million hits in 2027. But who knows? Maybe it's cheap for the team, and uh, they'll want to keep that deal at that point. But yeah, um, interesting, and you can see why it takes a long time to do a contract like this because it's so unique, and you can't just pound out a contract like this overnight but uh Patrick Mahomes hey who knows half a billion dollars maybe in a decade decade and a half when he retires from the NFL maybe he's the next league owner and who knows maybe there'll be a, a right. team for sale in Washington for him to buy and name whatever he wants exactly or you know takes over as the the ownership in in Kansas City I mean He's in a pretty nice situation. Let's Absolutely. just say that. Absolutely. That's just on the field money. Endorsements, uh, some investments he makes. Yeah. Uh, player, Michael Jordan style, player who becomes team owner. Uh, that That's su certainly something that uh, really the sky's the limit. Unlimited possibilities now for Patrick Mahomes, who is basically the face of the NFL, and this contract solidifies it. But speaking of that team in Washington, we do have a guest today, Chris Russell. Let's talk about that team name, that franchise, and where they are going next. Joining us now is Chris Russell. He's the host of Locked On Redskins, the soon-to-be host of Locked On Blank, I think. that There might be a name <laughs> change coming to Chris's podcast because there might be a name change coming for the team he covers, the Washington Redskins, and that might be the last time we even say that on this program. We know this has been a long time coming. This is not the first time this name has been talked about with this team. So when did things get serious for you where you're covering this team and you're like, oh, this actually might get changed now because last time we checked in with Dan Snyder in what, 2013, it was all caps, never. The name will never be changed. That does not seem to be the case anymore. Right. Brian, Matt, good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, so much has changed just in the last week, but really <clears throat> we started seeing the winds of change, if you will, uh, right around, I would say, say, you know, June 15th, after the initial fallout of the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, everything that happened with that in our country, all of a sudden it seemed like a dormant topic for the last three, three and a half years, really since I think uh, I want to say early 2017, somewhere in that range. Uh, and it was hot back then. 
all of a sudden a topic that had been under the covers and turn out the lights, the party was over, came roaring back. Now, if I could just take you back to that time, again, the Fuhrer was very real back then until a Washington Post poll of 504 Native Americans that said uh, nine out of 10 did not find the name offensive. And then the Supreme Court backed up the Redskins through a ruling, uh, well, through two separate rulings that their trademark, you know, was not that they were allowed to have a trademark protection, even if a term was offensive. And I'm just generalizing that ruling just for our audience, for those that are are unfamiliar. And, and so quite honestly, guys, from that time on, it was dead. Like it was not even an issue so much so that at Ron Rivera's initial press conference, nobody even thought to ask Ron about mm. the name change. Um, because nobody had talked about it, including, you know, I mean, people had talked about like your Mike Florios and 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 all that. But but nobody here really connected with Washington, D.C. media made a big deal out of it anymore because it was kind of dead. So this kind of came roaring back by storm. It is what it is. It's typical of the Washington Redskins. Just when you think you can't possibly get any more chaotic, they turn it up times 10. And where we are right now is a disgruntled owner who wants nothing to do with the name change, three owners who want out of the organization, and a fan base that has long been splintered and fractured anyway, and is now even more fractured and splintered. So this story is never going to die. Yeah, Chris, I mean, you, you said a lot there. I mean, ownership, frankly, has not been one of the strongest over the last 10 years to begin with. You know, even a year ago, we heard things about, you know, the medical staff wasn't up to, you know, Trent Williams once out, new coach, young quarterback. It looked like they were building some stability. And now you mentioned ownership once out. I have to think, and especially with the COVID situation and who knows how much time together we're going to have, it has to have a, a negative ripple effect on the football team. It does. It, it does, man. I, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I've talked to multiple people behind the scenes, uh, ex influential employees, people that have their pulse on what exactly is going on in the building. I only had my suspicions and I only had my fears, but I'm told it is even without Bruce Allen, and he created a lot of chaos. Uh, it is a mess. It is Ron Rivera right now is being asked to be the head coach, the general manager, the president, and essentially the face uh, and body of the franchise. And that is a lot to ask of one individual who, let's be honest, Ron is solid gold as a person, but everybody's got their trigger points, right? And I've heard he's getting already just completely overwhelmed and frustrated by the fact that everything is on him. You know, while Dan Snyder's yachting uh, off in France somewhere, everything is on Ron from the football team to the building management to the COVID plans and protocols to, um, you know, uh, it's to, to, to dealing with Black Lives Matter because he spearheaded a lot of that. Um, and, and what the organization was going to do, guys. And then on top of that, this. And I didn't, you know, this is what I signed I up for. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I worry about that because in some, you know, Dan Snyder came out and said, we're going to try something new. We're going to have a coach centered approach. Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid. And you know, those all, those things all work great ultimately for those organizations. But I'm sure there were some bumps in the road. And, the, and yes, Ron doesn't come here as an unexperienced head coach. 
And I know there was some stuff going on in Carolina with Jerry Richardson, right? There was stuff, but sure. he was not the face of the franchise in Carolina. It was Cam Newton on the field, number one, and it was Jerry Richardson in the front, and, and also Marty Herney, and for a while, Dave Gettleman, right? So he's never had to deal with all of this in the chaotic fishbowl that the Redskins organization always has been and always will be. You mentioned the the minority ownership there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's 40% of the team is owned by not Daniel Snyder and all three of those minority owners, it's reported they want out. Is there a chance that along with a name change, there's an ownership change that happens in Washington? Also, just expand on that. Could this yep. be, I want it out all along. Now's the time to do it. <laughs> you know well, what I mean? Yeah, so it's interesting, guys. Um, you know, I've reported for a long time in various different forms on on the podcast, uh, on my radio gig, and uh, you know, my SI gig, and whatever, just anywhere that anybody pays me to talk, right? Uh, that the co-owners, the minority owners, if you will, were frustrated, and they were frustrated enormously, um, and largely, I was told it was over Bruce Allen, right? They were just mm -hmm. tired of the circus and the drama and the act. Well, now it seems like that is kind of shit, even though Bruce Allen finally was let go late last December, that their frustration doesn't necessarily just stop there, that it, it continued and it continues with Dan Snyder's mismanagement. And a lot of people in the organization would tell you, you know what, Bruce was covering up a lot for Dan and Bruce wasn't as bad as people made him out to be. And maybe I was a little bit off on that, right? Um, I, I still say he deserves plenty of blame. But the bottom line is, is these three owners who are largely silent partners, for them to band together and say, oh, look, we're trying to get out at a time where, you know, it is really hard to get new investors and really hard to get new owners. Because let's face it, who wants to buy the Washington Redskins right now and absorb all of that criticism. Oh, by the way, pony up all that money and oh, by the way, not get enough percentage of the team so that you don't really have an influential voice, right? I mean, if you buy 40% of the, the football team, well, Dan Snyder and his family still own 60%. Who gets the ultimate say? Who gets power? Who gets control? So basically you're being asked to pony up money and to not have control or say, oh, plus, by the way, deal with the criticism from everywhere in the media and everywhere in the world that you're buying into a racist name of an organization for as long as that's the name. So, you know, this is all a tangled web dealing with the name but but trust me it's not their frustration is not just about the name they've long been frustrated and chris which is more of my alley oh by the way you're not exactly a super bowl contender either no <laughs> no <laughs> you know it's not the chief you know right yeah, yeah. I, I mean you know man like i don't know what you think of kyle smith uh the son of aj smith longtime charger general manager uh i love kyle um you know i love his dad too i, I you know I mean, they're I, I I think they're smart people, right? And I think Kyle's mm -hmm. really smart. I think he's going to be a GM sooner than later. He's just thirty five. I mean, he's really smart and he's really good at his job, and he's one thousand percent in. Uh, I I you know I fear that a he's going to leave the franchise because he's been here for eleven years and he's seen it all. And B, this is the best chance that the Redskins have, him and Ron working together to finally, again, build this football franchise the way successful franchises like the Chiefs and like, you know, some other 
solid organizations are built. Um, and, and that is a problem. They, 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 they haven't spent a lot of money this offseason. I think they're more looking at the bonanza potentially with a lot of cap room for next year, even though it might be less than they were originally thinking. But the bottom line is, you know, I, they don't have enough talent to just snap their finger. And if they're not on it to win, say, eight or nine games, they, they don't have enough. Ta- we know that they're going to have to win games more with will than skill. But the bottom line is, I think they're better than we last saw them, who couldn't be at 3-13. and 13. But a lot of that is so secondary at this point because of all of the drama around the organization. I don't know how anybody could honestly operate with a sane mind when you deal with the nonsense that we all have to deal with around here. I do want to get more into that product on the field and the players that Ron Rivera will be coaching in 2020 if this season ever does actually get going. Uh, really quick to finish up this conversation about the team name of that football franchise in Washington. Do you have a favorite? Do you have one that you think will win out? I'm seeing the most common now being the Red Tails and potentially the Warriors, which was uh, what I'm hearing is maybe Dan Snyder's backup option that he kind of was thinking about in the past if they did ever have to make a change. Right. He had trademarked Warriors long ago, but that trademark has expired. So I I assume Hmm. he could go back and get it again. I think it would be a huge, enormous mistake. And I've said this on the podcast uh, since you know uh, Thursday, Friday. Uh, I think it would be a huge mistake if they have any connection at all with A, the past, and B, any sort of Native American imagery, either through the logo, the design, or even the name. And even though Warriors is used by the Golden State Warriors, uh, you know, you look at the Marquette, Warriors, they're now the Marquette Golden Eagles. Well, there was a reason why they changed, right? There is some sort of connection and imagery to that. So I think that would be a huge mistake if they went there, uh, quite honestly, even though a lot of people like the name alliteration. I got it. Washington Warriors sounds pretty cool. Um, I've always said, and Ron said the other night, it would be connected to the military and some sort of tradition and honoring Native Americans. Again, I think that's a mistake, but military should be something that they should focus on. Somebody suggested the Washington commanders, you know, because you got commanders at all different levels of the military and other facets of our world. Um, I said, and I know this is weak, Washington freedom, right? It represents we're free of the past. We're free in a free country. We're in the nation's capital. I know that might be like, kind of like, (laughs) kind of neutral. But to me, they have to make it neutral, guys, because they cannot afford for this name, which is a forever name change, to come back and haunt them in any way, shape, or form. Last question on that front for me is, uh, that sounds like you would no longer be the same color scheme either like go red white and blue or be the commanders and be camo you know <laughs> i mean like i i would sh- be shocked if they're yellow and red still too don't you think yeah, that's a great point matt I, I you know i've argued that if you want to keep a connection to the past that's your connection they call it okay. burgundy and gold. they call it burgundy and gold but actually it's burgundy and like french is yellow mustard um you know that's your connection no logo, no shield, no name, no nothing connecting yourself to, again, Native American imagery and the past 
controversial roots of the organization, but I am willing, I am willing to keep the burgundy and gold if they want to go there and if they want to keep that as their connection. But I agree with you. If you go with a patriotic name, it almost makes sense to match what the Nationals and the Capitals and the Wizards do, which is, you know, the traditional red, white, and blue for America, the nation's capital. Uh, or, um, you know, if you want to go, again, a, mili a military type name, I guess you could still keep burgundy and gold, um, whatever. I, I mean, to me, I, I don't want to strike everything from the past. I just don't want anything that could come back and haunt them two months from now, two years from now, or 20 years from now. But you do think a change is coming? I do think absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I've been told by multiple people inside the organization, this is not a thorough evaluation. The evaluation is already done because Dan doesn't want to do it, but he feels like he has no other option at this point. And now what they're trying to do again is find a way to connect through that past and honor, do what they feel is honoring what many feel is disgracing, but that's what they're trying to figure out at this point. Yeah, it's a delicate balance there, and uh, it's pretty interesting that you know Dan Snyder still doesn't want to do it. But when the sponsors speak, I mean that's uh, that's pretty telling that that's uh, that's what's driving this whole thing with Washington and potentially changing their name. So we'll see what happens, and we'll see if that actually does happen before the 2020 season. I want to get into some of the players on the field. The future has arrived in Washington. Haskins, McLaurin, Chase Young. Is the young core in place for the next winning team in Washington? And I guess it all starts with the quarterback, the young quarterback. They drafted him in round one to be the quarterback of the future of this franchise. I'm talking about Dwayne Haskins. What did you see from Dwayne Haskins in his rookie season last year? And did you see something that made you excited or a little bit worried for his development as being that guy going forward? Well, both. Um, you know, and, and I'll, <laughs> I'll lean on you know, Matt and, and other experts. And, you know, I just, I know what I see. And I know, you know, from people that I talk to, we all know the storyline that Jay Gruden and his staff did not really want Dwayne, right? Um, remember part of that staff, part of that staff, the college scouting director at that point is the guy who is essentially Ron Rivera's 1A man, uh, Batman and Robin, and that's Kyle Smith. Okay. So just remember that. Um, but the the bad was really bad. He was completely unprepared. He did not take his work seriously. He did not practice hard, in my opinion, and in others. He did not study hard. He did not put in the hours, all of that stuff. Now, when Bill Callahan took over, a lot of people automatically thought, oh, they're just going to go to the rookie. Uh, listen, Bill Callahan can accused of many things. One thing he's not is dumb. OK, and Bill Callahan knew he wasn't ready and there was no chance that kid was playing because he wasn't ready. And it took him a while to get him ready. They finally did. It was rough at the start. It was rough for about three or four games. And then all of a sudden the light bulb started to turn on, you know, late November when the season was essentially over, guys. Uh, and Dwayne started to put it all together. He started working harder. He started uh, doing a little bit more of what they wanted in the offense. Um, more anticipation in his throws, getting rid of the football quicker. These were all problems early on in his career in the NFL and practices that he wasn't anticipating throws as well, uh, that he was that he was holding on to the ball too long. Um, all of these issues got a little bit better and maybe more than a little bit, but it's such a small sample size that we really need to see a bigger sample size. Now, just real quickly, fast forwarding. 
Ron Rivera and his staff came in with a lot of questions. They refused to commit to him. They were publicly very hesitant, and I know privately very hesitant. They feel much better about him now, what they've seen body-wise, work ethic-wise, even though they have not been able to work one-on-one so much with him outside of the virtual meetings. They've liked what he's done. They've liked what he's absorbed. Uh, in terms of the new system, Scott Turner, the son of North Turner, is now the offensive coordinator. So I think Dwayne is clearly the number one going into camp. The question for me is, will he be the number one coming out of camp? I agree with a lot of what you said there, Chris. And I'm a big believer that it takes a village to raise a quarterback. And Dwayne's village was on fire. And yeah. I think the work ethic stuff, especially early in the season, was gasoline on that fire, obviously. Mm-hmm. But if you look at him from week 11 on, kind of like you said, he was pretty good. And nobody seemed to notice because the season was over for Washington. His heavy-footedness worries me a little. Like, they're going to have to keep investing in linemen. But I'm quietly encouraged. And I think everyone's sleeping on him a little bit, thinking that, boy, his rookie year was a disaster. It really wasn't. I I agree with you completely and wholeheartedly, Matt. I, you know, I I would just say this: the 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 one thing that did pop up as a concern as a lot of those issues got better was in two of the last three games he played, he got hurt in in Green Bay. Now he stayed in the game, but he hobbled around on a bad ankle sprain, and he showed his toughness and his metal, so that was good. But he got hurt, and then he came back and he played against. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, and he played really well despite a loss. And then the week after that, uh, let me see, week 16 now, he gets sacked early third quarter, and he's out, and it's his knee, and there's a controversy with Dan Snyder coming down to the locker room and all that stuff, and he doesn't play again for the rest of the year. And it was just a game and a half left at that point. So, So while a lot of things got better, and his work ethic got better, and his knowledge of the offense got better, and his knowledge of the position got better, he still, I think, held on to the football a little bit too long for my liking, and he still showed that his durability is going to be at least a question, if not a concern. So that is, for me, my biggest thing, because, uh, you know, and I don't know how you guys feel durability to me is such an underrated thing, especially at the quarterback position. We look at arm talent. We look at, you know, anticipation. We look at mobility. We look at smarts and all of that's important, but you got to stay on the field. And that's killed the Redskins since they, in my opinion, stupidly let go of Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Just expand on that. He's a little bit of a see it, then throw it guy, not anticipatory Mm -hmm. player. Like you said, which is great at Ohio State when you got five-star recruits, you know, getting open and blocking for you. But when you're one of the worst organizations in the league and not getting help and you're not a super athlete, light-footed guy, that needs work. No, no doubt. No doubt about it. And I think that's going to get better with time. I mean, you would know better than than me. I mean, the more you practice and, you know, the, the, the more you – the more reps you get, I guess the one worry now transitioning that I would have is, okay, he really needed this off season on the grass with coaching and, you know, with, um, with Ken Zampini, uh, Ken Zampisi, Ernie's kid. And again, I mentioned Scott Turner, Norv's kid. He really needed that grass time in the structure of a team setting. And he doesn't get that. So and and now we we're looking at what no preseason games maximum of two, I don't know I I don't think they've officially decided that I know everything has been re- so so it's 
How long does it take him in a new system with new language, new terminology, new techniques, new footwork, new everything, new mechanics under the coaching guidelines that these guys want him to have, as opposed to him just working out on a field and videotaping himself with Antonio Brown? That's a huge question still for me moving forward. <laughs> I want to stick with that 2019 draft class because besides the first round quarterback and we'll see uh, where that goes as far as Dwayne Haskins development did Washington. And I think it was a home run draft for what they did in rounds two through seven. And I loved both wide receivers that they selected. I thought Kelvin Harmon was a steal in round six. Everybody knows how good of a rookie season Terry McLaurin had as a third round draft pick at wide receiver. Haskins college teammate did Washington find and draft their future starting tandem at wide receiver in 2019 in McLaurin and Harmon? I don't know if Harmon is going to be ultimately better than Antonio Gandy-Golden, but I think if you combine the two draft classes, yes, I think they have uh, a lot of really good young talent. And and that includes, again, Gandy-Golden, Harmon. Gandy-Golden was out of liberty in the fourth round this year. Uh, the other two, as you mentioned, in 2019. And don't don't forget, guys, about Steven Sims, a slot yeah. guy who won the slot job, or he was an undrafted kid, fast as you know what, won a job out of camp last year as an undrafted kid. You don't always see that. You see some of it. Uh, and he really turned it on in the second half, and he is going to be slithery, fast, and dangerous and explosive to deal with out of the slot, uh, especially, I think, in those three-by-one sets when they can line up the bigger bodies in Harmon or Gandy Golden, along with McLaurin and maybe, again, uh, you know, Sims, and then you split out on the one side a tight end, uh, which is still a weak point, or another receiver. I think that's where he's going to be really, really tough to deal with out of those three-by-one sets. So anyway, going back to the big picture of the wide receiver group, yeah, I I was shocked that they were going so hard after Amari Cooper. Not because I don't realize Amari Cooper is a good player, and not because they weren't trying to steal him and hurt the uh, the, the the Dallas Cowboys, but to pay to to want to pay him $22 million a year on a five-year deal just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me when you have all of this good young talent that you're bringing up over the last two draft classes. And again, that speaks somewhat to Kyle Smith, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, that guy is really good at identifying talent in those middle rounds. Nobody's perfect, but they've identified a couple of gems. And I think with more stability at quarterback, I think they're going to be pretty good in that area. Tight end, still a question. Offensive line, still very much a question. And obviously Haskins, but I think they're really good at running back and good young group at wide receiver. Uh, everyone knows McLaurin had a really good rookie year and, and that's great, but I think it's much more than that. I think he's a star. I think he's going to be a top 10 receiver immediately. I think he's a great player in the making. I also can't quit Darius Geis. I mean, maybe I'm just bonkers, but I think he's got a chance yeah. still to be really good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on both of those, uh, Matt. Uh, I, let me start on McLaurin. First of all, I don't know if I saw ever a better rookie as a route runner. I, I mean, some of the, some of the stuff he does as a route runner is just, again, mind boggling. And maybe I'm overrating it. I, I don't know, but it sounds like you see the same uh, thing. So I'll trust your eyes more Body than mine. control and, yeah, balance, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and you want to talk about um, a smart, articulate kid and just a really well-rounded individual. So if I could take you back, guys back to last year, and, I, you know, I'm sorry if I'm going on so long, but this is fascinating to me. He was – you guys know this. He was thought to be the best special teams player in the draft last right. year. In Top, 2019, right. bar none. 
You know how many snaps he played on special teams this year for the Redskins? Zero. Three. Three. <laughs> Three. He was so good as a right as a receiver that Jay Gruden, then the head coach, and essentially the offense, they had a nobody better than him, and b no way to keep him off the field at receiver and to burn him out on special teams. That's how good of a receiver he is. We're pretty much out of time here, Chris. I do want to touch on the other side of the ball, though, really quickly and get your opinion on how good of a unit you think that Washington defense is. You add just a stud player, number two overall, Chase Young, a defensive end, Mm -hmm. the fifth first rounder on that defensive line. You've got Ryan Kerrigan, you've got Jonathan Allen, you've got Deron Payne, you've got Montez Sweat, and it's not unlike the way that a defense that went to the Super Bowl last year that was picking second overall in the draft in San Francisco built their front with five first-round picks. Do you think this is a worst-to-first type of team in Washington? Can they make more noise than they're getting credit for in 2020? Yeah. Brian, to your point, your comparison, I think that's what they tried to do. And guess who tried to organize that? The former 49er head coach and defensive line coach, Jim Tom Sula, who, oh, by the way, now is in Dallas, but was here for four years, I think it was, as the defensive line coach. One of the one of the best coaches I've ever been around. I can tell you that much. Um, you know, and I don't I, you know, I don't know what you guys think of him. But as a defensive line coach, uh, he's really good. Oh, he's awesome. Uh, yeah. Now they. You know, now they transition into this phase where you had, you know, again, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, a fifth round steal from 2015 out of Temple. Uh, And then on top of that, oh, by the way, Ed, again, in the conversion to the 4-3, you're adding Kerrigan, Montez Sweat. And then just because he's there, you take Chase Young. So, look, if they're not dominant in the front seven, something's woefully wrong. I think you you sprinkle in Del Rio and Rivera, two defensive minds. They're clearly upgrades from what the Redskins had in Minuski as a defensive coordinator, even though I don't think it was all his fault. Um, the, The big concern, real quickly, is the secondary. But I think the pass rush... If you guys remember the 2011 Giants who won a Super Bowl with that NASCAR defensive line package, they covered up a lot of blemishes and a lot of questions on the back end because they could get home and they could rotate and they could keep fresh. That's what the Redskins, I think, are going to have to do to go from a worst to first type situation or at least be in the top 10 neighborhood of either points allowed or yards allowed, which is, of course, how the NFL ranks their defenses. They won't have to blitz to get home. So they can no, cover up that no. secondary a little bit at no. least, yeah. Yeah, and you don't want a blitz to get home. I, I mean, no. if you don't have to, right, Matt? You, you, I said this all oh, last if you year. Get there with four, like they will. That's ideal. Yeah, but you've got to get home with four if more often than not, as opposed to having to send the kitchen sink, because then you're going to expose your guys on the back end, especially if you're running and chasing these mobile quarterbacks and you can't get them down. And it's not a garbage back end on the defense either. They've added Ronald Darby. I like the pick. Again, talking 2019 draft, I thought Jimmy Moreland was a steal late at the end of that draft. They do have some talent. Fabian Moreau there in the defensive backfield. Fuller, uh, Landon Collins is there. So uh, it's going to be an interesting defense in Washington and a team that might sneak up on some folks that aren't giving them any credit. But Chris, we are out of time. We've got to go. Really appreciate you joining us here today. You guys can find Chris daily on the Locked Locked On Insert Name podcast that is soon to be changed, I have a feeling. (laughs) And you can find him on Twitter at Russellmania621. Chris, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me. Sorry for burning your ears off. (laughs) Great stuff from Chris. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be back tomorrow right here, Locked On NFL.